0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. What a night for Ducks fans. This is something we're used to seeing uh, all out of the playoffs last season. Ducks with a comeback victory here tonight in Edmonton, A 5-4 overtime victory against McJesus and the Oilers. This is something I did not see coming out of this game. I felt like the Ducks were going to be able to take away a win here, Eddie. I did not think going into overtime that this was going to be a fun experience just based off of what McDavid could do amongst other guys on this team. But what a dominant third period to spring the comeback and clean up all the pieces. Ducks get the win and a much-needed two points.
1: Yeah, finally, uh, we see a comeback, really, at the, you know, the the way they were playing going into that third period. It wasn't necessarily bad, but it was, I guess you could say, not ideal, especially going in down three to one. And they finally turned things on. This is like reminiscent of the comeback kids from, from a couple years ago where the Ducks were able to just find another level in the third period and really get things going. And when the Oilers scored that fourth goal, too, to put them ahead, they, they didn't really sit back and say, oh, well, damn, you know we're down late. This is going to be tough to get back. They kept up the pressure, dominated the third period, and it's exciting to see. I mean, this this was a game they should have won, uh, and, and they made it a lot closer than it should have been, but huge two points. I mean, it's, it's huge with the, the standings and the fact that L.A. lost the other night.
0: Well, the good news is they lost last night. Yes. they're the ones, right? Yeah, they're the ones that are going to go in and play Edmonton. Edmonton beat them. Uh, it was a really odd, as we mentioned last game, going into tonight, that it would be a weird home and home back to back. You don't see that too often anywhere in the league. The Ducks, you know, were fortunate enough to come in and wake up somehow in the third period and take advantage and get the win. Destiny's in their hands. This is what uh, we've been talking about. They got to win out, right? That's what we want, anyway. Yeah. But we've almost felt like they had to. They've come through here in this game. Hampus Lindholm, my boy, with the OT winner. I, I know, spoiler alert, if you haven't already heard or seen <laughs> the game, obviously you're here to Harris be uh, excited about it. So let's get into the pregame here. We had some great news coming in, and what a difference these two guys made being back in the lineup. Josh Manson and Ryan Getzloff back in the lineup. El Capitan, much, much, much needed in this yeah. game. I felt like his presence was, was felt all over the place for this Ducks team. And, of course, Josh Manson would, uh, would tally one here. Scratches, Antoine Vermette, JT Brown, Andy Walensky, and Corbinian Holzer are the scratches tonight. Gibby, as uh, the Ducks have hashtag Gib him the Vesna. I mean, I don't know when they started getting on board with the Vesna talk, I believe, uh, if you want to play that, that <laughs> stupid game of, you know, who, who said what first, I believe that was us. But uh, he gets to start net, and poor Cam Talbot gets the back-to-back home-and-home starts uh, as we kick off this uh, first period. Kind of a, an even first period, wouldn't you say? I mean, there was a—I wrote in the notes, like, holy hell, what a sequence there by Gibson. Strom with a chance, Pjarvi with, with a chance, and one went off the crossbar there. At Ducks with so a little sloppy. Kasha with a breakaway. Um, just a little bit back and forth, almost like pawn hockey-esque at times.
1: Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I mean, going back to a little bit to the pregame, I, I feel bad, like you said, for Cam Tal, but that's a you know a rough game where they're able to come out with a win against LA, and that was kind of on him and Connor McDavid that night. And then he's forced to go in tonight because Al Montoya can't go in. You know, it's, I guess it's not too hard to feel bad for him because, I mean, a lot of us remember his, some of his comments from, from the playoff series when Ryan Kessler was holding his pad, as he said, so I can't feel too bad for him, but yeah, I mean, he, he played pretty decent in this game at times, too, so I guess uh, kudos to him for being able to come out and actually play it back-to-back. That's true. You know what? I went too far ahead, man. Let's go ahead and get, kick the show off. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we got
0: an <laughs> intro here. We got we to gotta plug in, so. <laughs> Let's do it. I got too excited.
1: Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry Scoot! Corey Perry. William able to shake away from Solani, it's giving away to Salonian. We can kick things off with uh, the chat before we get into the first period. Uh, Gordon Bombay saying Talbot sucks and Darnell Nurse sucks. Get out! <coughs> of <So, laughs> Good, good way to start. Quack and Steve saying excellent comeback and a rare OT win. I agree with that. Finally, you know, unconventional. We'll get to it. An unconventional setup in overtime, but uh, a huge, huge win.
0: I was happy with it. Obviously, I skipped over our intro. I was like, let's just get right into the meat of this game. <laughs> We're too excited. It was, just a, it was a fun game. I was way too excited because the Ducks finally sh- like woke up in a yeah. third period in a game that we haven't seen in a bit. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> Darnell Nurse sucks and so does Cam Talbot. I like that talk. Um, poor Cam Talbot, though. I don't think he sucks. Um, he did have a rough night. But yeah. uh, this Ducks team, I felt like they kind of weren't all that dangerous in that first period. Edmonton had some chances, shots ended up 12-11, to 11, 11 Edmonton rather, and it was 0-0 after one. Did you have any other feelings on that first period? I kind of felt like it was eh, eh besides that uh, sequence where Gibby had to stand tall and, and catch a crossbar. Uh, yeah. The Ducks didn't look all that great.
1: Yeah, there wasn't, a, I mean, there wasn't much really going for either team, It's kind of a sort little of back and forth, and Gibby had to make a couple good saves, but I mean, that's what we're used to from him now, uh, I think every game he makes a couple 10 bell saves where he puts him back in that discussion for the Vez, you're like, oh yeah, well that's why we're talking about him and the possibility of him being the best school tender in the National Hockey League this season. So, yeah, uh, disappointing first period, I guess you could say, considering Edmonton had played the other night. And, and they didn't really look that tired for a team that played last night a, t- a tough game against LA. They came out flying.
0: I guess the only thing I'd have to add to that is I would expect more yeah. from Anaheim. Like you said, they had you know Edmonton played back to back. I mean, the only thing with Edmonton is they didn't have to travel, right? They just got to wake up and go to work. Yeah. Um, Ducks, I would expect more out of them. I mean, I know we're happy for the outcome of the game, but uh, falling asleep at the wheel for the first two periods rather was just kind of not the way we wanted this game to go. As we get into the second period, Um, Ducks come up with nothing on a power play, which has been disappointing as of late. And then uh, just a second after the power play expires. McDavid, David doing McDavid things. Snapshot, right past Gibby. I uh, wrote in the notes, we'll allow it just based on how Gibson's been holding this team together. He's allowed to have a goal that he would probably want back, granted it's off. Yeah. Basically, I mean, what we're looking at is the art trophy winner, right? I mean, Big David just scores when he wants to score, and that was just one of those cases for me.
1: Yeah, I, it's one of those shots where I, he's just so deceptive with his release that, you know, it looked like such a simple and easy shot to save, but. It's Connor McDavid, and and he can just make those types of goals happen. So, I mean, you got to give some credit to the guy because, really, I mean, Gibby wasn't screened, and it was just a pinpoint shot on the inside of the post to the far side. There wasn't much he could do. I think it was Manson who kind of just left him a little bit bit too wide open. I mean, this is a guy who now sits at 99 points, primed for his back-to-back 100-point seasons, which is insane at, at this day and age in the NHL. And, and you gave him way, way too much space. Uh, I mean, he's got to close that down.
0: No, he does. But, I mean, it was almost like that goal against Quick last night yeah. that McDavid had. His first one went 5 hole. It looked like a nothing shot. It looked like it was like a laser through him. But that shot in stride, that snapshot in stride, is such a fast release for him. And, you know, you saw that guy just gain speed to the neutral zone against the Kings. Just, it was like three crossovers or four crossovers heading to the neutral zone. He was gone. The guy just makes things look so easy. Mm-hmm. And he's just that dangerous. It's hard to really fault anybody because he just kind of does what he wants. But not too long after, Josh Manson, fresh off of the uh, the injured list, gets one, goes top shelf. It was almost like a – I don't want to say it was a fake half slap shot, but it didn't look like he, like he wound up and it wasn't – I don't know. It was a weird shot. Yeah. It looked like a slap shot to me, but he kind of just at the last second like let up a tad and went top corner on Cam Talbot and made a 1-1.
1: Yeah, he, he kind of pump faked it a bit. And I think uh, Talbot was looking for a blast, and he, then he kind of took a little bit off of it and just guided it top corner. But it it, it was a bomb, even with him taking a bit off of it, and he, and he ripped it off the bar and in. And Nice for him to come back in and, and have an impact offensively, because he was sorely missed in the last game, and you could see it in the way the Ducks played, and to get him and Ryan Getzlaff back is huge. And I mean Manson continues to surprise with his offensive production. I mean nobody expected him to have this type of season. I think he leads the Ducks defenseman in points. Uh, you know, he if we had a pick at the beginning of the season, I think we probably would have had him what fourth, maybe fifth behind some other guys based on his production in the past. So for him to be up there is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, I never will mind comment about his second assist as we said before. But yeah. those all count. Those all count about where you are on your, on uh, on the score sheet and you're still there making plays. But I would agree with you. I would never peg him to lead this team in points. I would probably put Cam Fowler up there honestly or even Brandon Montour at that point. Yeah. But uh, Manson there was the sign of things to come. Really this this Ducks offense was just defense oriented, really. When you look up and down the score sheet, I mean, it was the defense that was creating and that's just the kind of the way it would go. But uh, this second period just didn't go well for Anaheim. Edmonton Just looked like they were getting lots of movement on their power play. And it would end up developing into a goal here. Benning with a point shot off the skate of Ty ratty It goes in. It's 2-1 Edmonton. And they're getting those high slot chances. I felt like they were getting a bunch of them in the second period. That's one where they cashed in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, again, I mean, it's Connor McDavid setting things up, right? Yeah, I mean, he passes it over to Benning who gets the point shot off, and it's a little bit unfortunate to hit Ty Ratty and go in, and, and again, you can't really blame Gibson, but uh, it, it's kind of unacceptable a bit, and I know it's it's lucky going in off the foot, but this Oilers power play is awful, I mean, they're under 15% for the season, I don't know a team in a long time where their power play hasn't been that bad, almost at the end, of the, end point of the regular season, but... You know they're eventually going to get someone, and if they're going to get one, you would expect Connor McDavid to be involved like he was, and, and this kind of just continued what was a, a not so great second period by the Ducks. You know what's funny about that is when you put it that way, if you think
0: about it, if they're under 15%, that means they're giving the penalty kill an 86% chance on average of, of killing off that, that power yeah. play, and the Ducks just weren't able to do it there. Uh, but like you said, this second period just was just a I don't know, one, the Ducks just don't want to remember. It was just very reminiscent of, like, the second periods of the past, where they were just shut down in the second. Gibby had to make a big save off of Raquel turnover. I noticed 12 minutes into that second period, the shots were 11-3 to in that period alone in favor of the Oilers. Uh, it's just not a great thing going. Ducks couldn't get the power play going at all. I, I don't know what's going on with this power play. I mean, we kind of felt like there would be flashes of brilliance from this power play with their new look as they were running Montour, Fowler, Gazloff, Henrique, and Raquel. Do you know anything what's going on with that? Have you seen anything in particular as to why this isn't clicking? I mean, when you get chances against an Edmonton team like this, you should be able to generate a lot of chances, and they felt like they couldn't get anything going.
1: Yeah, I mean, the power play's been this weird situation for the Ducks all season. and I guess it extends a bit into last season as well. But they they have the talent really to get things going, and I think I I believe we've talked about this before. But is they don't really have that guy that go to guy who's going to shoot the puck on the power. The plate. trigger guy, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of passing, uh, a lot of overpassing on some occasions. A lot of times they don't get clean entries, and when they do, that's when you get you don't have a guy who's designated to shoot the puck. And we we've said before we'd like to see Montour maybe on that uh, that far side on his strong side. Kind of creep down to the top of the circle and and rip some shots from there, and then if you had to pick a guy, I mean Raquel's as good a guy as any to be the trigger guy in the power play. You know he's probably he's only duck right now over thirty goals, and you would expect him to be the go-to guy. Unfortunately, he's not, and and I feel like it's kind of a systems thing. I think they got to get a new guy in there running the power play and, and figuring out how to set it up because, you know, the Ducks have the talent to have a good power play. I, I just feel like the setup is what's hurting them a bit.
0: I would probably agree with that because that's, you know, what's going on. They do a lot of passing, not a lot of shooting. They're just trying to get that perfect, pretty play. Moving on here so we can get this junk of a period out of the way. The Oilers on what looked like like was a power play was Dreisaitl with just a blast. He was almost down with a goal line on a one-time shot, beats Gibson. Total zone domination by Edmonton on this play. I, yeah. I don't understand what the heck was going on. How do you let a guy like Leon Drysaddle go off the radar in the defensive zone like that and get all alone for a one-time shot on Gibby, who pretty much had no chance? He's trying to read the puck. It's going all over the ice in the, in the zone, and now it's 3-1 Edmonton.
1: That's the second time, too, that he was left wide open like that. The first time he whiffed on the puck, and Gibby was able to just grab it out of midair because there was barely anything on the shot. Uh, you know, th- this is a guy, especially against the Ducks, that if you give him two chances, he's not going to do the same thing twice. And, of course, this one he rips over the shoulder for Gibson. I- again, not much Gibby could do on that when You've got a, a lethal goal scorer like Settle just left wide open. And he's able to wind up and just blast it to the top corner. And, and this was a summation of-, of a bad period for the Ducks where, you know, you allow three goals in that second period and, and they just didn't look good. I mean, the shots ended up being 14-4 to Edmonton. It, it it was just awful for it. it didn't look like a team that was fighting to get in the playoffs they looked like a team that was you know just withering away and, and weren't really trying to push to get things going their way
0: whatever they did in between the intermission there going <laughs> from the second to the third it definitely flipped the script on this game i was pretty bummed i think that was uh, starting beer number 3 going into the third period or my third yeah. pint of the night which I usually don't do, but I was like, you know, I'm going to have another one just because I just, you know, I know it's Sunday night, but I mean, this game is driving me nuts. I've been waiting for a great period from the Ducks and I had no hopes for it just because of what we've seen recently. I thought that they were going to blow this up and they didn't. What a turnaround by Anaheim coming into this third, proving all of us fans wrong. All our hopes that they were going to come back would come to fruition here. Great start to the third period. Ducks get a goal from Adam Henrique early in the third period we're talking a minute and 55 seconds in yeah. it's marcus petterson with a point shot Henrique with the tip in front no chance for cam talbot and all of a sudden it's three two oilers but the ducks get that much needed early goal and hey perry's got his assist his second assist on the night
1: yeah and, and this is how you want to come out of the gate when you played a horrible second period and you need at least a point in this game if not two because of la's loss last night and they just come out flying. And they get early zone pressure against the Oilers. Uh, they get, I mean, this is why you hear the cliche, just get pucks to the net. Because Pedersen just throws it to the net. And it ends up tipping in off off Henrique and going in the net. And, and, I mean, you might as well. I, I mean, it was a great by, play by Perry to hold the puck and get it back to Pedersen. But huge, huge goal to start the period. I mean, if they don't get this one and, and the, the pressure isn't there, the Oilers could have just taken over this game and continued their strong play from the second period.
0: And that's my bad. My eyes drifted. That was his first assist on the night. He would end up having two points here as he would get the second goal. Of course, this comes around from a play by Cam Fowler. Fowler, with the wraparound chance, goes behind the net. It goes off a tablet. scores to the slot. And Perry gets a stick on it, tips it in by him. And now all of a sudden, we've got a 3-3 game. Absolutely dominant period here by Anaheim.
1: Yeah, and and you, this is where you see them kind of taking advantage of some tired legs on the Oilers. I mean, you got to get that early pressure when you know that this is their fifth period or sorry sixth period now in two nights. There are going to be some tired guys on the ice, especially on the back end. Fowler takes advantage of that and, and uses his speed to to get the wraparound, just throwing it to the net. And, and who else but Perry is is there in the crease wreaking havoc? And he gets a tip on it. Uh, yeah, I was pretty pumped at this point, at least because it was such a miserable second period. And for them to come out early and tie the game, I think it surprised a lot of people. And, and it's great to see them doing that because this is the type of play, especially when they're down, that we're going to need to see down the stretch. There were, we were about
0: 10 minutes in, a little over, 10 minutes and in chains into this yeah. third
1: period. And the Ducks said,
0: we're out shooting the Oilers 12-1. to 1. I mean, talk about a turnaround for Anaheim and taking advantage of a team that they should have taken advantage of all game. But luckily they decided in the third period they were going to own it, and they did. Um, but we wouldn't be able to go into this into this third period and make it through the game without a dumb penalty being taken. Uh, this one done by none other than our favorite guy, Nick Ritchie, who's had a rough <laughs> go points-wise as of late, along with the rest of his line mates. I mean, Henrique had a good night tonight, sure. But uh, Ritchie's been hurting for points, and he takes a dumb penalty here. Edmonton would convert. McDavid, of course, would make the pass to Bear. One timer just crossed the uh the box, the penalty kill box there, and now it's 4 3 Edmonton. Just a total suck the wind out of the sails. Everyone's like, Are you kidding me?
1: This is, I mean, we need a counter on how many times Richie's taken a dumb penalty this season that's led to a goal or or a close to a goal for the other team because it feels like it happens almost on a nightly basis. Where I mean, it was unnecessary, he didn't need to, he was retaliating to a play that had happened earlier, but a couple minutes earlier. Doesn't need to make it, and and you, you know Edmonton's power play is awful, and but the fact that you know they the, you know you're tied at three, you're having such a good period, you take that penalty, when McDavid's on the ice, he's always going to make things happen. This power play goal is, is really all his making with that cross crease pass to Bear, who just has to fire it into the net for his first NHL goal, which I which I guess is exciting for him, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it sucks the wins out of the sails. I, I mean, you were you know you had all the momentum. You come in, you get two quick goals, and now you kind of blow it late on on a dumb power play. The good news is, for us Ducks fans, is we all know the ending of this game, which would
0: mean we'd get the tying goal here. Anaheim would continue the dominance in this third period, and it would be Adam Henrique, Montour throwing the puck on net with Gibby pulled. It gets deflected, not only by Henrique, but also by Nurse, it looked like, going in behind Talbot. He had no chance. I mean, I didn't think this was going to go in just from the area. This is what you said prior is put the puck on net, score some goals. That's uh, our favorite guy, Jim Fox. I like to make fun of over on the Kings broadcast. Oh, he always <laughs> says that. Um, but he's right in this case. I mean, this is what happens. And the Ducks able to tie this game up 4-4. Four to four. Make no mistake, the Ducks have come all the way back and tied this up to force overtime.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but it, it works in this case. All three of the Ducks' goals in this third period where them just throwing the puck on net and hoping somebody's there, it tips in, uh, and and it works in this one. And, and what about Adam Henrique? I mean, now this is goals number 17 and 18 on the season with Anaheim in 51 games. I mean, he's just been unbelievable, and it's 31 points as well in those 51 games. I don't think anybody expected that type of consistent production from him, and, and they're big goals too. I mean, he had, what, he has six game-winning goals with the Ducks, I think, since coming over, uh, this one obviously wasn't a game winner, but it was it was just as big, tying the game late. It's just just unbelievable the type of production he's been able to put together.
0: They really needed it. I mean, yeah. obviously that's what they had to go. I mean, the first one was a nice was a nice tip. The second one, I don't know if it just hit him or he meant to tip it. Either way, he gets the credit for it. Yeah, the Ducks with twenty two to six in shots on goal advantage, sixteen to one in high danger chances for in that third period. That's what you call utter domination. that's the kind of game we needed start this overtime though did you were you not sitting there biting your fingers because i was like (laughs) they always show me david and they always show everything about that guy and they just makes me remember all the times he's burned every other team in the league and burned the ducks and then you go to three on three and he gets all the ice
1: in the world um and he's one point away from 100 right like that would have been the storyline too he he gets his hundredth points 40th goal of the season by scoring an, an OT winner against the Ducks. I mean, it, the script was written. Obviously, it didn't happen, but that's how I felt going into it. Like, if he's going to score in overtime here to get his 40th goal and his 100th point, we're going to hear about it for 10 days after this and just be miserable because they, they blew a point.
0: Well, a good thing they didn't, man, because it was a strange start to this overtime. The Ducks yeah. controlled the play the whole time. They're the only ones, I think, with a shot on goal and the, yeah. only, one, the only team with a scoring chance. And they did this thing where they decided to wait. They waited behind their <laughs> net. They waited in their defensive zone, waiting for the McDavid line. I think they were hoping for the McDavid line to change. They wanted McDavid yeah. off the ice.
1: It seemed like it. Yeah, <laughs> it
0: and was the, odd.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Going by what I said in the chat, you see, did you guys see how salty the Oilers fans were about how that keep away to start OT? Uh, they they oh, weren't. No, I didn't. They weren't happy. Yeah, they were. They were booing uh, a lot to getting mad. I mean, Kessler, the Kessler line started out there. And before the Ducks even got any offensive zone time, they were able to change and put Getzlaff and Raquel out there. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a unique start to overtime, that's for sure.
0: Uh, dare we say the Oilers were outcoached in overtime? <laughs> I mean, dare we say was... our coaching staff outcoached their team? Is that and, what happened?
1: Yeah, an unorthodox uh, style thrown out there by Randy Carlisle, I guess, just wait for McDavid to get off the ice. <laughs> but you almost, I don't like, know I
0: think you need to do that to get away from any kind of like Deadly scoring threat, although The others have other guys in the team that can burn you But I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, come yeah. on, the best player in the world's on the ice You don't want to play against you um, And yeah, you gotta get Kessler off the ice He can't skate with McDavid, not many guys can You can only hope to contain the guy On a nightly basis, but Raquel would have to deke Getzloff And I believe a defender at the blue line For Edmonton McDavid did not leave the ice Pokes the puck, or pokes Raquel's stick. Puck squirts free to Hampus Lindholm. That's all she wrote, baby. He goes five hole on on Talbot. It's a five four win. He didn't even know it went in. He went to go tap into what he thought was the rebound behind Talbot, and uh, the Ducks seal this one up. What a play by Raquel! He's on fire still. He had a couple of quiet games. He had two assists on the night, and including that one in overtime.
1: Yeah, I mean. He looked a lot better, obviously, back playing with Ryan Getzlaff, which is, which is a huge advantage. But i got to give him some credit because he, he did have a strong game individually as well with the two assists and, and the setup for the OT winner because that was all him to set that up. I mean, dangling Getzlaff. I think it was uh, Dreisidel that he had digged around and then able just to kind of fight off McDavid and get that pass over to Lindholm to to squeak it past Talbot. So all credit in, in the world to, to Raquel. It's another strong uh, game from Gibby as well with Getzlaff and, and Perry in the first line getting involved. And, of course, the secondary scoring from Adam Henrique. And, again, I mean, we, we've mentioned this already multiple times on the show, but a huge two points to pick up now that you sit kind of comfortably, at least for now, in that third spot in the Pacific Division with two points up on L.A. It's
0: where we want to be. you got to yeah. get that
1: division spot to give
0: yourself the best chance. You don't want to face Winnipeg and Nashville. If you guys didn't watch that game today, and you have NHL TV, go watch that tonight or tomorrow. That was a hell of a game. You don't want to face either one of those guys in the first round. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Um, the Ducks getting that much needed two points. My boy Hampus Lindholm with his 12th goal of the season. I believe it's his second overtime goal of the season as well. Hell of a game from him. Great game by Josh Manson coming back. He might have looked yeah. a little rusty early, but that Lindholm-Manson pairing did really well tonight, Eddie.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what we need. I mean, it, Lindholm's kind of gotten, anytime Manson's been out of the lineup, really, he's just kind of thrown with who's ever left. It was Pedersen last game, so it's not as bad. But really, I mean, you know, even with the play of Fowler and Montour lately, that's the go-to pairing for the Ducks and, and Lindholm and Manson to get things done. And they got it done in this one. Manson adding a little bit extra with the goal as well. And he's such a big piece. We talked about it on the last show how he's so underrated, and he's probably one of the most underrated defensemen in the National Hockey League. And he kind of proved it again tonight just coming back and and being that second half to the Lindholm pairing, showing that he's not getting carried by Lindholm, and he's a big contributor to to that pairing as well.
0: Yeah, it's much needed, I feel like. I mean, you need to have your top four guys on defense rolling. Um, What a difference Getzloff and Manson make in this lineup, huh? I mean, we well, all knew Getzlaf what he yeah. what he makes, but I mean, yeah, missing Josh Manson is, is hurtful for this team. It throws everything out of whack. If you yeah. have a guy like Holzer in the lineup. I mean, I I mean, you don't want to trash a guy. He's just not used to playing in the NHL on a nightly basis. It's not he's not at that level, and so yeah. it's, it's noticeable. He gets taken advantage of. So it's great to have our top four back in and solidified.
1: Yeah, and and to be fair, again, that was Winnipeg as well in that last game. I mean, they're on another level, even with Getzlaff and Manson. I, I feel like the Ducks probably. Still didn't deserve to win that game the other night. So again, you know, you got to give some give them some slack a bit about playing an elite team like Winnipeg, but they do make a huge difference. And of course, Ryan Getzlaff makes a huge difference coming into this lineup. But again, Josh Manson being able to solidify and kind of stabilize that top four is extremely important.
0: So as we wrap up this game, the Ducks with the five-four overtime victory. Hell of a setup in that overtime there with the coaching staff. Uh, the Ducks moved back into a division spot, put a bow on this game. We needed this win. It was a must-winning as a team that's out of a playoffs uh, situation. Interesting thing that happened uh, yesterday: the Ducks. Before we get into our post-game, um, our buddy Jason Lamb he put up funny stat of the night on Twitter, and he tagged us. In it. in the course of eight hours, the Ducks went from wild card spot to out of the playoffs, and then finally in a division spot, and they didn't even play yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> kind of funny the way that worked out for the Ducks, and then they got to decide their own their own destiny tonight.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a roller coaster because I mean they weren't really getting a ton of help yesterday either. Uh, you had let me see, yeah, the, the Sharks had won early against the Flames. You had the Avalanche grabbing a shootout over uh, shootout win over the the Golden Knights. Then you had the Blues beating Columbus in regulation, so it was all looking pretty bad until LA lost to the Oilers, which I guess was was if you wanted any team to win, I feel like you probably wanted LA to lose. So that uh, the Ducks could make up the points today and, and obviously put themselves in a good spot. So it was a roller coaster. Uh, I remember seeing at one point it, there was a bunch of tweets during the day that the Ducks were in the wild card spot, then they were out of a playoff spot, then they were back into third in the Pacific. So yeah, I'm, I've never seen that before for a team that hasn't played where they've moved around so much in the standings based on other teams playing.
0: Well, we're gonna have to see how the how the LA Kings play against the Calgary Flames tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a huge game uh, Calgary's not really in it anymore they kind of fell off they had to have like a slim to none chance as I think right now for, to make the playoffs I don't think they're anywhere they're nine points out I don't believe yeah. they even have a chance um, the Kings are you worried about them sliding back in I mean they've had an okay season they've been hot at times um, do you fear that they could get on a roll here and cause some problems to the Ducks
1: I, I, feel, I feel like they can. I, I, mean, I feel that like was they a, can too. I don't want to, but I feel like they can. Yeah, that was a tough loss against the Oilers last night, but Anze Kopitar has been unbelievable for them all season, and, and we talk about McDavid being able to will his team to victory. Anze Kopitar is the type of player who can do that as well, and when you've got Jonathan Quick and Ned and Drew Doughty kind of running that blue line, you know they have a chance to win against any team on any given night, so... I I am worried because I, I feel like tomorrow when they play Calgary it's a winnable game for them. Calgary's really, really been struggling. Like you said, they've just fallen off and now they're nine points out of a wild card spot, eleven points out of that last Pacific division spot with only six games remaining. I mean they're they're pretty much dead and done. So they're gonna want to play spoiler. That's what I'm hoping. But the, the Kings are a scary team. I mean they've got a lot of guys who can hurt you. They got Carter back about, you know, three quarters of the way through the season. He's been good for them, so uh, I'm worried, but I, I like how the Ducks are, are kind of grinding out these games. I mean, Quacking Steve said in the chat, it was like our Ducks from a few f- few years back poor in the second, great comeback in the third. So uh, I'm hoping. I, I'm hoping that uh, the Ducks can kind of squeak in and, and LA just falls just outside of that last wildcard spot because it'd be great to see them not make the playoffs. It would be great for me,
0: too, in my pocketbook here.
1: Um, yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> I owe my buddy tickets. If the Kings make the playoffs, we're both
0: Ducks fans, but uh, he, he thinks I'm crazy for thinking they're not going to make it. Right now, they are um, two points behind the Ducks, and they're tied for St- with St. Louis in that last wild card spot. But St. Louis has got another win. Gonna be interesting down to the wire, man. We're gonna see how things go. And uh, I want to stay on the standings here for a minute, if you don't mind. But the yeah. San Jose Sharks, as much as I said I would rather face them over anybody, they're mm-hmm. eight and two in their last ten, and they ha- they have won seven straight games. Yeah.
1: It's They're
0: a uh, deadly team.
1: It's been it's been scary to watch them play because they've just been dominating pretty much every team that they've faced. I mean, you look at their last their last uh, five wins here, 7-4, 5-3, 6-2, 2-1 in overtime against Vegas and a 5-1 thrashing of the Flames yesterday. Uh, it's just been massacre after massacre for them and, and kind of Vander Kane sort of been at the front of that uh, he had the four goals against Calgary, then went pointless, and then had two goals against Calgary last night. So he's obviously victimizing Calgary in their last two games with six goals. But that's uh, that's the type of production you hope to get from a guy you get at the deadline. And, and unfortunately for the Ducks, it, it's tough watching a guy that they were in on succeed with a, with a rival and, and have them on a seven-game winning streak. And I, I think the big thing for them as well is they've kind of solved their goalie issue. I mean, at at the middle part where they weren't necessarily playing as well and they're bouncing around between uh, the Kings uh, at second and in the third spot in the Pacific, it was Aaron Dell and and Martin Jones kind of swapping starts each and every night. And now Martin Jones has had three strong starts in a row against some very good teams, and he looks to have grabbed that number one Spot back and, and that's going to be scary. I mean, that's why they've essentially gone on this run and won seven games in a row and are a scary team to face in the playoffs. Because when Martin Jones is on his game, he's a very good goaltender.
0: He's underrated. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't get talked about a lot. um I feel like John Gibson's a better goaltender, but Martin Jones is no slouch. And I, I feel like he doesn't get enough credit there in San Jose. Yeah, um, there's like you said, man. That Evander Kane pickup was huge for them. I think it would have just done wonders for that Anaheim offense. A lot of people were worried about the baggage he would bring there, but uh, I don't know, man. He can score goals. He plays it doesn't good even look hockey. like it.
1: I mean, I haven't heard any really since that uh, that money situation and some of the allegations that came out against him. I haven't really heard anything negative in him and with, with him and kind of stuff outside the game in over a year. I feel like it's just people looking back and at stuff he's done in the past and kind of bringing it up and always saying, "Oh, he's got issues in the locker room and this and that." I mean, you know, he he looked like the the Sabres players when he was there. You know, they really appreciated appreciated him being there. He was well liked in the locker room, and now you see him go to San Jose, and you know he's made he's made friends quickly produced on the ice, it doesn't really seem like he's a guy that brings a lot of baggage with him and and just kind of has problems wherever he goes. I mean, he's fit seamlessly into that Sharks team.
0: Yeah, and I know we don't know him on a personal level, and nobody knows what really goes on behind the scenes, but I mean, Jumbo Joe, a well-respected player in the the NHL and person outside of it in the San Jose area, picked up uh, Evander Kane from the airport when he got traded there. Big old smile on his face, excited to have him there. I mean, something about uh, the excitement.
1: Of Jumbo Joe, this is a seven-game win streak without Joe Thornton in the lineup. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's been out, and they've won this many games. Imagine when he gets back, how much of a a more difficult team they're going to have faced to to match up against. I mean, that's just scary. I don't, you know, I I still pick them to face them over Vegas and Nashville, but it, it is getting harder and harder by the minute to to pick them over other teams.
0: It's mostly, I feel like, because the Ducks have looked slow.
1: Yeah. Against good teams, they
0: just look slow. And Evander Kane's not a slow guy. Pavelski's not a slow guy. There's other players on that San Jose team that I can't think of the top of my head. I know are quicker players and what the Ducks have in their lineup. And we all know what Vegas can do to you. They're they're slumping right now, but that doesn't mean that in the playoffs they're not going to get fired up. You know, in that T-Mobile Arena, they're going to fill that building to the brim with crazy fans. It's going to be insane in that building. I wouldn't want to go play there either. Um, I feel like the Ducks would have a better chance. I still feel like against San Jose just based on the games played uh throughout this season so they're they have their chance to make their move and, and solidify that division spot they got to keep winning here obviously that's how it's going to go but uh we'll see we got LA to deal with they still got Vancouver coming up here this week on Tuesday so the Ducks have an interesting week ahead um I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha they've kind of shifted in gear so they've both been kind of I don't know Slumping, yes, they've had chances. Yeah. They just haven't put in the been put in the puck in the net. They were relegated down to eleven minutes tonight. Henrique mm-hmm. played about fifteen. Henrique with uh, two goals in the night. I f- do you feel like maybe it's because of their production? This is something the coaching staff decided to do. Or have you seen a tick in their play where Carlisle's kind of like, no, 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 not dealing with that.
1: Uh, you know, I, I feel like it has to do with their production a little bit. But other than that game against Winnipeg, I, I felt like they were getting things done. But they just they didn't get they didn't get the luck on the score sheet. I mean, we would look at their numbers. I think there was one night, and I believe it was against New Jersey, where they were like 90% Corsi 4 percentage, but they had no points on the night. And, but they looked dominant in that game. And I feel like just looking at what they had done in, in the game against Winnipeg, they weren't that great. And, and now just kind of getting relegated to about 11 or 10 minutes is just maybe a wake-up call a bit. Because I feel like Kasha had a really strong game. Uh, you know he had a couple good chances, could have got a goal or two in this game. Uh, on the other hand, though, Nick Ritchie didn't look that great, and, and really the only memorable play he had was the dumb penalty he took that led to the the goal uh, from, from Ethan Bearer. So I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what they do because uh, I not necessarily think it would benefit the line by taking Nick Ritchie and maybe plugging somebody in, but uh, somebody now that we're on red alert for. And Troy Terry could be a guy that could uh, fit nicely on that line with Henrique and, and Andre Cascio. Let's talk about it, man. There's yeah. some news out
0: there about Troy Terry. As you put in our notes, the Troy Terry watch. Denver lost to Ohio State. And that would mean Troy Terry is now eligible to sign in Anaheim. There was word in our last show that that was going to be the case, that he would sign. They didn't say which team. But uh, it looks more and more likely that it's going to be the Ducks.
1: Yeah, and, and it's it's crazy. Cause, I mean, we had just talked about Terry going on that third line, and Connor had uh, mentioned that as well. He said, if the Ducks signed Terry, what do you see line combos as? Terry on the third line, Richie sent down to the fourth. I think that'd be great. It's it's interesting to see, for one, when he is going to sign, because I remember when Ryan Donato's season ended, he pretty much signed the next day and then was playing uh, in the team the, the next game. I think it was the, the same day after that he was playing in the team for Boston. So... I mean, I'm not saying we're going to see anything tomorrow, but he can be signed at any point now. Darren Drager put out a tweet saying that he expects Troy Terry to sign in Anaheim soon, which is always a good sign. A bunch of people, Eric Stevens saying he also felt like Troy Terry is going to sign with the Anaheim Ducks pretty quickly. So that, that's always good because we, we all remember back to, to Justin Schultz and it is a different situation. But, you know, it, it's kind of scary with these NCAA players and, and you never know if they're going to sign or not. But it looks like it's going to happen. I just don't know if he actually steps in the lineup or not. I mean, we'll have to see. It, it all depends on if the coaching staff thinks he can step in right away. Uh, either way, he's going to be either playing with the Ducks or with the goals, and I feel like he's going to make a difference whether he plays in the NHL or in the AHL to start.
0: Let's hope so because, like you said, you never know where they're going to sign, but, I mean, honestly, you never know what kind of player you're going to get. Um, he's only played collegiate hockey. you got to think about uh, if, he's, if he's ready for that speed difference coming into the NHL directly. Yeah. Why not get a taste here if you can slot in on that third line and not be a liability? That's the biggest problem. And I know I've said it a little bit before, is that uh, Randy Carla doesn't trust young guys. He likes to, to to leave his big minutes and his, I guess, minutes overall for his vets. Uh, it would be interesting interesting to see if he gives Troy Terry the playing time. Do you do you still feel like he might slot in? Or do you feel him coming up for a Vancouver game? Or do you kind of see him coming in for like the
1: big-time game against the Kings? That's tough. I, I feel like he deserves a shot. But, it again, it all depends on the coaching staff and, and what they believe in, one, promoting young players into certain games, depending if it's the Vancouver game or the L.A. game, and if they really even believe he's ready. Uh, I mean, I think we had said this when Ryan Donato came up. I think we talked about this on the last show, saying you know, that the coaches see that around the league, where a guy comes up, signs from the NCAA, gets in immediately and makes an impact. And that's what you hope for if Troy Terry is going to come in the lineup, that he can make an offensive impact right off the bat. Uh, if he does, you know, if that's something he's going to do, I, I don't know. I feel like putting him on a line with Henrik and Cash, it gives him a pretty good opportunity. And I, I feel like that's the line you probably succeed the most on. I don't see them bumping Perry off the first line and throwing him right out into the fire with Getzlaff and Raquel. But I feel like he deserves a shot. I, I feel like it's worth the risk to throw him in one game and give him a chance to show what he can do. I don't feel like he's going to be any, any worse than, than Chris Kelly in the lineup. I, I mean, he you know if you, you look at the guy who would come out, it would probably be Chris Kelly. And, and why not give Troy Terry a chance uh, on the third line and bump Richie down to the fourth?
0: How dare you talk about Captain Canada <laughs> like that? I mean, that's I your mean,
1: guy.
0: Chris Kelly's your guy. He represented your country. You're going to sit there and bash him and say he should be taken out of the lineup. I'm just very surprised as a... <laughs> You know, said you're a Canadian, and you're going to bash another Canadian like that. But I mean, whatever, man.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had uh, forgotten that he was captain Canada because you know the Olympics were just so captivating this year. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I completely forgot.
0: <laughs> well, we got to talk about. I mean, if you're going to say captivating, women's hockey was amazing, and it just yeah. put the spotlight on as we talked about. But yeah, Chris Kelly. I mean, I don't think I'd miss his five minutes yeah. uh, that he played tonight. Um, I, I would love to see a young player roll in like that. And I mean, why not? Why do you have to play these yeah. crashing bangers in the fourth line? I mean, shouldn't you be trying to roll four lines and like your fourth line maybe being like a group of young kids trying to come up and make the NHL and see what they can do in, in a couple of games where they're not going to have a severe impact on your team? You play in yeah. the soft minutes and you let them feel the flow of the game. I mean, why? Not? I don't see the problem in it at all. I would love to see Troy Terry.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you brought him up to play in the fourth line, it's it's probably not worth it. Especially if he's gonna play eight minutes a night. I feel like you might as well just send him down to San Diego and play him there. But if you're gonna give him a shot on like the third line where he's playing about, you know, twelve, thirteen minutes a night with some guys who can actually create offense and Henry can cash, I think that's the best opportunity for him to succeed. And at this point, I mean I think we all believe Richie's just not cutting it lately on that third line, and maybe it's a wake up call to send him down to the fourth line and have a little bit less minutes and kind of think about his production as of late and you know it's hard to say about what type of production you're going to get from Terry because we haven't seen him play in the NHL of course or really in pro hockey other than NCAA and, and the the World Juniors so you don't know what type of production he's going to have, but I feel like right now you, you might as well give him the shot and just see what he can do. There's, there's nothing hurting you by playing him one game, you know, 12, 13 minutes, five on five. Maybe not give him the power play time and the penalty kill time, just just kind of seeing what he can do on that third line. Why not? I mean, why not put If he signs tomorrow, why not play him against Vancouver and give him that shot?
0: I agree with you, man. Let's, um, if, you if you don't have any more news on this game. I know we talked a bunch about Troy Terry. I mean, I'd love to see him in Vancouver too. But we should probably get to some questions here. I know we have a few.
1: Yeah, we've we've got a bunch today, which is which is great because everything was dead after that Winnipeg game. Uh, Twitter was dead, Reddit was dead. So it, we've got a, a whole bunch here. So I'll start. I'll start with the chat because of, you know these guys are sticking out live. They're here. They're they're listening. So I'll start with uh, Christopher's question in the chat. He said, "What did you guys think about the defense really pushing the offense tonight?"
0: I agree, man. That's that's what I said at the beginning of the show when I when we talked about Josh, uh, Josh Manson scoring. It was driven from the D. I mean, Patterson yeah. shot, Henrique tipped it in, Fowler's wraparound, Perry tipped it in, Manson with the goal, uh, Lindholm cleaning up the rebound by uh, you know Raquel making that chance, Montour throwing the puck on net, and Henrique getting a clip on it. You know, this was a, all the young defensemen here. You know, playing huge roles in this win. It was great to see. This is the kind of uh, Ducks defensive core we've been talking about for years and we just said these guys are so good they're so good, wait till they come up if these guys are this good and they're holding back a guy like Jacob Larson, they keep saying he's great, it would be interesting to see interesting to see when he gets his opportunity but for right now, I'm pretty happy with this Ducks blue line aren't you?
1: Yeah, before you even said that, I honestly didn't realize that all five of the Ducks six defensemen were directly involved in those goals I knew that Manson had the goal, Lindholm had the goal, but you had Pedersen, Fowler, and Montour with the primary assists on the other three. So, I mean, perfect question from Christopher bringing that up, talking about how they're pushing the offense tonight. That's what you need. And what a surprise. It's it's the five younger guys in the lineup. Not to slight Boshman, but, of course, he wasn't involved in the scoring. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's what you need. I mean, the Ducks have one of the best young mobile defensemen, defense core in the National Hockey League, and to see them all contribute and step up in this game is great. I mean, they're going to need that down the stretch absolutely Uh, let's continue with the chat Uh, (laughs) Gordon Bombay with uh, a kind of off-kilted question saying he was watching the Ducks live coverage of the Ducks fashion show and he asked whose wife slash girlfriend is the hottest and apparently both of us have to answer answer Matt Engel coming in with uh, Ryan Miller's wife is fire in the chat right after that question (laughs) (laughs)
0: I don't think I've ever seen his wife I know that she's an actress the Uh, only one I've ever seen is Getzloff's wife oh no I've seen Perry's wife too um, but I mean, that, uh, that's it. I'd have to. I guess you'd have to have a lineup to make a decision yeah. on that. That's not something I really pay. This is like
1: to. a. This is like a conversation down the road because I feel like I'm in the same boat as you. I think I've only really seen Getzlaff's wife. I haven't. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, Wasn't
0: she involved in like real housewives
1: thing? Yeah, from yeah, like, that's, Canada. They had a show. Yeah, there was like a hockey wives thing, and uh, I think that's where I'd seen her. But other than that, I mean, they had that show was the worst too. I, I'm not all those shows <laughs> like that are terrible, man. Brandon Preston and his girlfriend were on that show, and it was just uh, it was just a nightmare to watch. I, I mean, it, you had guys too, like David Booth was on that show, Jonathan Blum was on that show, and, and then it just like, took a dark turn when these guys just stopped getting calls from NHL teams. Like Jonathan Blum was playing in like the KHL and david booth was playing overseas <laughs> and you're like brandon press you you basically saw the whole like backstory of how brandon press wasn't getting contract offers and he was just like he just hated life at that point it, it just it was such a weird show <laughs>
0: <laughs> anytime you throw that kind of mess together it's not going to be yeah. a good ending
1: yeah but uh, to answer the question i feel like that's what we had to get to down the road i mean we need a lineup right? gordon bombay if you want to throw up a lineup Get get something together and and we can answer it down the road because I don't have much to draw on right now. I haven't I haven't seen enough to, to fully answer that question.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really pay attention to athletes' wives, honestly. So
1: that's interesting. <laughs> uh, Chase coming in the chat saying, "I feel like the Ducks signed Richie to a one year deal, and if he doesn't pick up his game, they just let him go." I, I don't know how you feel about that. Do you think Ooh. they let him go if, if he? I mean, that's a uh, that's a hot take a bit. If he uh, if he doesn't pick up his game, they just let him go and they just they give up. They don't even uh, don't even resign him. Don't even trade him. I guess would trade his rights. But that's uh, that's interesting for sure.
0: That is definitely not Bob Murray asking. Murray's yeah. gonna try to make something of, of anything he could get for him. If he puts him on the trade block for sure. Um, Rich is an interesting one. Uh, he's a young guy still. I believe he's only twenty two. So yeah. he's still young and he's got time to uh, to grow and, and, and get a, a, you know his legs under him, I guess. But I feel like at this point, you almost know what you're getting from him at an NHL level. He's played long enough. But uh, I don't know. That's a tough contract to gauge just because he went on a stretch here where he was going to be. He was scoring and we thought, OK, cool. He's finally found his home there on the Henrique and Kasha line. Uh, let's get things going here. I don't know. I don't. They would never let him go, though. I mean, you can't concede a first-round pick for nothing. It's just not going to happen. But yeah. uh, the contract on years, I'm going to that, leave that part of the question to you. How do you feel about his contract
1: at this yeah. point? Yeah, I mean, we've we've kind of answered this a bit at different times when we've had similar questions about uh, what is the, the Ducks' offseason look in regards to their RFAs, and I think we had said probably around a two-year, three-year deal, uh, maybe around two and a half, three million, $3 something like that. I think even that's might be a little bit too much because that's kind of around what is making. I feel like Cogliano has more of an impact on this lineup than Nick Ritchie has had. So it's an interesting point because he's still a young guy. So it's, I think if you had to look at the like the contracts that are coming up this year, I think that's the hardest one to predict because there's a lot of ways they could go with that. I don't think they lock him down long-term. And, and that wouldn't be a smart move really from Nick Richie because I'm sure he feels he can he has more to give than what he's given right now. And to put himself in a five-year deal... At uh, kind of a low cost, uh, isn't the best for him. But then you got to think of it the other way: is, is maybe he's a little bit worried and he wants that kind of stability and that that uh, that certainty that he's going to get paid for the next five years in case things don't tick upward. And you look at some former former Ducks players who weren't as high draft picks, but were first round picks: Emerson Edom. I mean, he doesn't play. I don't. I believe he doesn't play in the National Hockey League anymore. And uh, he was a guy that the Ducks didn't lock down to a long-term deal and was kind of on the fringe just like Nick Ritchie is right now uh, and, and didn't have that contract certainty. So th- there's a couple of angles that uh, that Nick Ritchie could do go with it in this offseason.
0: He's got nine goals in 24 playoff games. If, or No, sorry, in 15, four goals last season. I'm, I looked at it and I was combining there with San Diego, that's my bad. I looking at his oh. stat line like an idiot. Like, I don't think he had nine. There's no way. So he had four goals last postseason. He has eight goals this season, 17 assists, 25 total points. He's a 20- to 30-point guy. You're not going to overpay for that. Um, He's 22. He just turned 22 in December, so he's still pretty young. He's going to start next season at the same age, obviously. They're definitely not going to trade him, I would say, unless they get a nice deal out of it. They like that style of player. He drops the gloves. He's a big hitter. Uh, He rides the line of what's legal and illegal in the game. Uh, definitely um he and bob murray and ryan and randy carlisle like that type of play so i don't see him going anywhere anytime really soon but i don't Mm -hmm. see anything longer than a three year deal i agree with you and i think cogliano provides so much more on the defensive side of the puck than nick Ritchie does
1: there's just so many guys coming up young forwards in this system that i feel like are gonna make him expendable I mean, Max Jones is a very similar type of player to him, but he actually has the wheels, and I feel like that's a, a direct comparison where you can just slot Max Jones in whenever he ends up coming up and being ready, uh, and he'll fill right in that role. And he's the type of player, like you said, that the the coach and the GM both like, but he provides a little bit more than Nick Ritchie does. And then you've got Troy Terry, who we've already talked about, Sam Steele, Maxime Comtois. You've got four guys coming up who are who are. In my opinion, going to make Nick Ritchie expendable at some point if he doesn't improve his play, and and I feel like eventually the Ducks just move on and either trade him outright or package him in another deal. Uh, I just feel like you know a lot of fans have gotten to the point where they're at wit's end and they just don't believe you're going to get much more out of him. And at some point, you know Bob Murray's going to feel exactly the same way. I feel like you know he's definitely if if anybody, out of anybody, he's probably the most disappointed about how Nick Reed turned out. Cause you look at some of the other guys they could have got with that 10th overall pick. And now you're sitting at a guy who's a 20, 20, 30 point guy. You expect a lot more from such a high pick. And, and I think if anything, he's getting to that point now too, where he's like, I uh, I mean, we're going to have to move on eventually. If some of these other young guys can come up and play in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, that's what they're going to have to figure out here in the offseason how long they're going to want to give him a chance for. Exactly. Uh, Moving on in the chat, uh, Derek asked, uh, or he kind of stated then asked, We so said career-high in goals for Manson. He almost doubled the amount of points from last year, so he had 17 last year, and now he's at uh, 32 this year. So with that being said, how do you guys think his development is going? Great. He's yeah. got
0: that new deal kicked in here, or kicking in next season. Uh, he solidified himself as a great defenseman. It's um, no secret that you know he's not a slouch without Hampus Lindholm they're both yeah. really good defensemen they both complement each other very well so I'm very happy with his development there and you got to give all the credit there to um to Dallas Eakins and the coaching staff with the goals coming up and bringing those guys up through the system here in Anaheim and yeah. then obviously the Ducks just know how to handle those
1: guys yeah and we had talked about this with Raquel just looking at season by season looking for those little improvements and increase in production you look at Manson 28 games when he first came up and debuted with the Ducks, had three assists. Then you look at 2015, 2016, 15 points in 71 games. Last year, 17 points in 82. And that huge dump this year now where he's got 32 points, six goals, which is a career high as well. And in seventy four games, I don't think he continues to go upwards from that, at least point wise. But if he's a guy that's going to sit around 25-30 points for the style of game that he plays, he's going to be extremely valuable to this team because I feel like he's the only type of defenseman that kind of has that certain edge to him in the Ducks lineup. You've got Lindholm, who's kind of a, a strong two way guy. Fowler is a little and to, a little bit more offensive minded, and then you've got Josh Manson, who not not maybe not necessarily is a full on defensive defenseman but he's the, the most physical out of all of them, and I feel like he just gives that blue line a little bit of edge and a little bit of nastiness.
0: No, I mean, that's true. It would be nice to see a couple of Ducks defense would be able to sit around that 40-point mark. I mean, these guys are yeah. young. They have the ability to do so. Um, if they can get that power play clicking, that's what you can start racking up the extra points there when you're away from five on five. But I feel like they need that guy. They need a 40 45 point defenseman. Here. Yeah, I mean they're all hovering around the same output. You know, you know, was it mid twenty ish into mid thirty ish? If they can get to mid forty ish in points, I feel like that'd be solid.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like the only thing they're missing is that offensive defenseman. That I mean, Montu I feel like is the, the closest guy to maybe becoming that in the future, where you're getting a 45, 50 point guy, but. Uh, you know, the Ducks don't have that Klingberg or that Eric Carlson or that Brent Burns. And, and, of course, those are difficult players to get. You acquire them through the draft or get lucky in free agency or something like that. But that's really all they're missing on that blue line. And uh, But if you can consistently get four guys getting 40, I mean, you de- you don't really necessarily need that guy really, right? I mean, if you got four guys producing at a decent level or contributing like they did in tonight's game, you don't need that one all-out offensive defenseman to build around. If you've got four guys, you can do that. No, it's true. I mean, I just I would love to
0: have them have that guy plus. You know, I just want uh, to have my cake and eat it too. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> uh, Matt kind of bringing up the Richie comment again in the chat. He said, what can they even get for Nick Richie? I, I feel like at this point, it can't be much, really.
0: Um, We're being really hard on the guy, right? Yeah, I mean, but... He played a little bit his first season, and then last season was kind of his breakthrough, which we thought he was going to build on. And then this season, he slumped quite a bit. Um, he hasn't played all the games. He's had a little injury bug, right? A couple of games here and there he, wasn't, he didn't play. He's played 69 games. Yeah. Uh, what could you get for him? Uh, I, I maybe a vet, think, a vet? A vet? Yeah. A pick? If you're going to trade uh, Richie in a pick, maybe get a pick back with a veteran yeah. player. You're not going to get anything that's going to blow your skirt up.
1: I don't feel like... you got to find a GM <laughs> who values the type of player he is as well if you're going to get a bigger return for him. And I don't think you explore the avenue of just trading him right for picks. I feel like if you're going to try and do something, kind of package him in a different deal. If if the Ducks, for example, were to go after Pat again in the off season, which I don't think they do, but, for example, if they were, maybe you package him in a deal like that, just to tout him as a, a young prospect who might need to change the scenery, and you might get a little bit more than that, other than trading him to a team for a th- like a third-round pick or a second-round pick, depending on what you can get.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think that's it's, just it's, the best time to
1: go. Yeah, I, I mean, but it's
0: tough to kind of pin down what exactly it is, what exactly yeah. it's going to be.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because he's just, you know, a lot of people still look at uh, at the, the fact he was drafted tenth overall and say maybe, the, maybe, you know, maybe he just needs a change of scenery. We've seen that. For, I mean, Yakupov was traded from Edmonton to, uh, I believe it was Colorado at the time. No, St. Louis, I think, was where he got traded first, and everybody's like, "Well, oh, watch out, this guy just needs a change of scenery." and uh, he's going to start lighting it up. Of course, that wasn't the case. Now he's with Colorado and has, still hasn't done a lot. He was a former first overall pick. So there's always that assumption about a player who gets drafted, doesn't work out, especially when they get drafted so high that maybe they just need to change the scenery. So I think maybe – I'm using maybe a lot here, but maybe a Bob Murray can kind of throw that at some GMs and say, hey, you know, this guy can get in your team, and if, if he gets things going – and it becomes the player that we thought he was going to be. He's going to really help you guys out.
0: Yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah. he's going to try to make it work. He can't ever concede defeat on a first-round pick. He's got to get something for him. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, continuing with, I think this is the last question we have in the chat from Dean. Uh, he said, "Seem seemed like the Ducks have been focusing more on shorthanded slash overtime play. I wonder if this is a response to the penalties they've been taking. Would you agree? They kind of have to. Yeah, <laughs> that's a
0: point. That's a point of the game. I mean, they've left so many points on the table in overtime and shootouts yeah. that uh, they kind of had to clean up that aspect of their game. The penalty kills has been pretty good. Um, I believe they went three for four tonight. I think Edmonton only had one power play goal. Uh, the Ducks need to stay out of the box because I mean, yeah. you got to think that McDavid's goal could have been a power play goal at that point. It was one second after it expired, so they let a team that is pretty down on themselves this season almost go two for four there. It's something they got to clean up for sure. Um, I think they would be focusing on it, but now they have their full complement of players, so I think it's going to get better as it is. Just basically saw in overtime what a difference Ryan Getzlaf makes on this team. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about it?
1: I feel like it's kind of been something they've been doing all season. I mean, the penalty kill is fourth in the National Hockey League, so there's obviously a big focus on that and keeping that strong. And I feel like when you know, not only is this team ill-disciplined a lot of times, but they seem to get the the wrong end of a lot of calls and and we've we've all seen the numbers and the disparity between the, the penalties given to the ducks and, and the penalties taken so i feel like they know it's going to happen so it's something they work on to kind of stay above that because as dean points out you really can't cut back on the penalties other than maybe curbing your discipline a bit so you might as well work on playing through it and i feel like that's the the kind of the the avenue the Ducks have taken is they know that they're going to be ill-disciplined at times. They know that they're going to get the wrong end of some penalties. So you might as well work to having a strong penalty kill so you can at least fight through it.
0: Let me get to the last question in our chat. It's from a buddy of mine, Chris Smith. Yeah. He says, with Tyler Soy's dominant season with Victoria in the dub, where does the former 2016 seventh round pick fall on the prospect list? Also, Josh Mahura has been very good for Regina. How many puck-moving demon can the Ducks carry? I'll let you take that, because you're more privy to uh, the Ducks' prospects than I am.
1: Yeah, Tyler Soy is an interesting player because he did have... I'm going to pull up his numbers real quick. He did have a strong season with Victoria this year, 92 points in 66 games. So he was sitting in 13th in the league scoring, which is you would normally say, well, that's great from, from any player. But he is an overager. This was his fifth... Full season in the WHL, you know he's expected to produce that level, especially for a playoff team like Victoria is. So I'm not ready to put him up high on the list. I feel like he's done himself some favors by continually playing well, uh, and this was his highest point total of his his whole career in the WHL. I, I'd like to see more from him and what he can do in San Diego because he's been there for a bit at, at brief times where he hasn't looked that great. And he's kind of looked behind the play, so we'll see. Obviously, more from him next year when the only place he can go is is San Diego because this was his last season in the WHL. So I'm not ready to put him above some guys. I feel like he's definitely below the, the four I'd already mentioned today. I think he's below uh, Antoine Morand as well. So he he's kind of further around maybe sixth or seventh on the fourth depth chart. But he can he can really make a difference next year if he if he plays well in San Diego. Uh, as for Josh Mahura, I think this is an interesting one because he had a he had a good season. Him and Sam Steele both had a good season for Regina, and it's always nice seeing these two guys play together because they just seem to link up on a lot of plays, which obviously is, is really exciting for Ducks fans because they're both Ducks prospects. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, the jury, I think, is still out on him. I mean, he had 69 points in 60 games this year with with Regina, which is great for defensemen. Huge step up from when he had uh, uh, 53 points in, I believe it was 73 games last year. So he took a huge step forward uh, on a team that wasn't as good as they were last year. So I I don't know because he reminds me a bit of when Chase Theodore came out of Seattle. And uh, there was a lot of hype around him because of the the offensive prowess he had in the WHL. And, of course, he's turned out to be a, a really good defenseman in the National Hockey League. So I'm not ready to put maybe Josh Maher at that same level. But I think he plays the same style of play where he's got the offensive numbers in, in junior. It's just now to see if they can move over to the pro level. I think that's the always... The tough thing with offensive defensemen is some guys look like they can light the world on fire in junior and then they come over to the AHL, the NHL and the points really fall off. So that's going to be the big challenge for him. I mean, he's probably still in the WHL next year, so we might not see him with the goals. Uh, but I think that's the uh, the real talking point for him is if that offense can can progress into the next level. All right. So what do we got on uh, on Twitter and Reddit? So we got I, got, I mean, we got a bunch of questions today. It was it was great from everybody that uh, that turned out. So I'll go with Reddit right now because uh, that's the, the quickest thing I have open on my phone. So uh, we had uh, Rufio says Bangarang on on Reddit who has a who has a two part question. Uh, he said, judging by how much our roster is up in the air heading into the off season, how many rookies do we say see making the team heading into next season? And what's our boldest predictions for a current roster player who's a pending free agent that we let walk? So uh, uh, we'll take the first question. I, I don't know if you want to take it. You, I know you don't uh, focus a ton on, on the prospects like you just said, but if you had to pick a rookie next year, who do you see making the team? You can include Troy Terry in that as well. A rookie making the team? Yeah. That's so tough
0: just because of what we just we, we talked about, that, that uh, the Ducks' top nine forward group, yeah. For a long time. I mean, I guess a long time. Ten games we've done now. Uh, it just seems like a long time. <laughs> but um, I I really liked Sam Steele and yeah. um, and Max Jones in training camp. And I know Steele has really done well those his last two seasons. <sighs> Shoot, that's a tough one, man. I really feel like it's all about what they do with Nick Ritchie. Yeah. Because I feel like they're going to give Kasha another chance because he's got the speed. Uh, of like a Cogliano it can really make plays happen he has more of a finishing ability than Cogliano so I feel like he's more valuable than Nick Ritchie mm-hmm. so if I were to slot somebody in though uh, man I would have to I mean honestly I would, I would have to go with Max Jones that would be yeah. the guy I'd want to see step up he's got the same he's got He's got the same frame and size although, although I know he's younger than Nick Ritchie so he doesn't have that experience but uh, he also can move he's a great player yeah. I feel like he was looked past and incorrectly so in the draft and the Ducks got a lucky one there so I'd like to see him slot in with the Ducks
1: yeah I, I would honestly I would tend to agree with you and, and I feel like he would be that guy the only thing that's kind of holding me back on on Max Jones is he's been uh, he had a surgery on his finger this season hasn't played a, a game at all for Kingston or I think he played maybe one game since he got traded there they're in the playoffs right now he's projected to come back in the second round Hasn't played a lot of hockey, and uh, he's eligible to play for San Diego next year. I think it all depends on how well he does in camp, and then maybe we see him. Because I feel like if he has a strong camp, he's probably the best shot. Uh, I don't see any center, so I don't see Sam Steele really making it because you've got Kessler, uh, you've got uh, Henrik and Getzlaff all in front of him, and I, and I feel like they want to see what he can do at center in a pro level before they push him to the wing. So I feel like he probably goes with the goals to begin that season as well. Uh, for me, it comes down to uh, Max Jones and and maybe Troy Terry. And I feel like just because of the injury that Max Jones has been struggling with, I feel like Troy Terry is probably the, the most likely guy to make the roster next season. And, and a lot of that fringes on how well he plays if he gets a chance with the Ducks this year, or even how well he plays with San Diego. So I feel like he's definitely got the, the edge if you had to pick any of, of the prospects coming up. Uh, if you want to go on defense, quick mention to Jakob Larsson as well, because I, I feel like he's definitely a guy that uh, still is considered a Ducks rookie because he's barely played any time for them whatsoever. Uh, he's a guy we're all waiting for to see come up, and I think uh, with Boschman and Bexit coming off the roster, potentially uh, there's a spot for him next year. Uh, to answer the second part, uh, it was uh, what uh, heading into next season, what's your boldest predictions for a current roster player who is a pending UFA that we'd let walk? Who do you um, think we let go? Bold prediction. I mean, we went down that list before
0: of who we would like to see them just let walk. Um, yeah. <laughs> I definitely see you know the likes. This is the easy way out for me. But you're going to see Antoine Vermette not come back. You're going to see Boschman not come back. Chimera, Chris Kelly, um, JT Brown. I would hope they give him a chance. But they haven't played him really at all. Yeah. So he's probably not coming back. Um, a big one that they could see walk. I don't really think you're gonna see a big name walk. There's really yeah. no one that's gonna shock anybody if they don't come back, unless it's like Akasha or Nick Ritchie mm-hmm. uh, or Brandon Montour. And there's no way in hell they're letting Brandon Montour walk. That's just not gonna happen. Um, I would be shocked if they let Nick Ritchie just go away. He's an RFA. Yeah. You have his rights. You're gonna get something for him. Of the UFAs, oh, man, nothing would surprise me. None of those guys surprise me as a UFA, right? Yeah. None of those guys are going to move the needle all that much. I just don't see it happening with a regular UFA. The RFAs are a a different story. You can't let those guys walk. But uh, to be traded, I would be shocked to see Andre Kasha traded. That's that's my pick. If I'm going to turn that question into a little bit more of what we would see, I'd be shocked if Kasha was traded.
1: Yeah, that's where I was going to go with it too is I don't see any of them. You know, essentially just walking, but I could see possibly a trade if the Ducks were trying to make this team better, where teams would be asking about Andre Kasha, and I think that would be, if you had to make a bold prediction of a guy not being back, I think Andre Kasha would, would tick the needle for being a bold prediction, and then Nick Ritchie again, like we've already discussed, if they can package him in a deal, uh, if if a guy like Troy Terry comes in this season and impresses, then you you have the you know the ability to move him possibly out of the lineup. So I think it would have to center around those two because the UFAs. I mean, we, we wouldn't be surprised uh, to see any of them let go. I mean, Vermont's barely played. Uh, Chris Kelly, Jason Tamera dealt their back. JT Brown hasn't played at all. Kevin Bieksa, that's up in the air. But if he goes, I don't think we're surprised if he signs a one year deal. I don't think it's a surprise either. So um, I think it all centers around those specifically those two RFAs in Kasha and Richie. Um we don't really see it as going anyway. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A couple comments um on a rookie thing uh Dean was saying Sherwood for sure key for Sherwood who actually had an overtime winner for the goals in his for debut which was insane. Uh Phil talking about Nick uh Nick who really hasn't ever got a true chance with the Ducks. Every time he's been called up, he's essentially been put on that fourth line. Uh, he's a guy that uh, we've all kind of been waiting to see Get a, a good shot with the Ducks um, so just because we're getting late in here we still have a bunch of questions so we're going to try and rip through them a bit uh, Nome Gusta on Reddit, the Reddit names are just great today, uh, he says why does Perry's voice not match his face oh man <laughs> what does
0: he mean by that,
1: is his voice uh, I don't know, because uh, I want to get not too far yeah. I gotta
0: know what direction he's going with that before I make a comment on that
1: I feel like his voice isn't too far off what you'd expect from him. But,
0: it's um, not like it's this high squeaky voice.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, I would assume he's a Ducks fan because he's on the Anaheim Ducks Reddit. But I, I feel like we'd have to get into that. Uh, I mean, if he's listening, I want to hear more about this on the next show. I want like a full explanation of what you're expecting from Corey Perry's voice. If we're going to take a deep uh,
0: a deep dive into a uh, question like that, we've got to know the context.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, Turnaround 08. Again, asking thoughts on Troy Troy Terry's situation now that Denver is eliminated. We've covered that, but I wanted to throw the question out there. Uh, I think, and I believe you believe or at least hope that he gets a shot uh, in the next coming games, at least with the Ducks, if not with San Diego. Yep. Uh, Burnt Paper, um, a a podcast question. Uh, Are you guys ever going to get on Spotify? Because that's his uh, platform of choice for listening
0: yes we will we'll be there i'm going to submit it tomorrow morning first thing i just found out that they could even have a podcast on spotify so yes it'll be there for sure
1: so uh props to burnt paper for now enabling us to look up to get on spotify because otherwise we wouldn't have uh we wouldn't have thought about that absolutely uh, now i gotta i gotta dig through uh twitter here to find the other questions we had a few on twitter uh, Garrett saying, how many more points do you think we need to get into the playoffs with, what, six games remaining now?
0: Oh, uh, shoot. I mean, there's an actual I think they number. need 10 yeah. of yeah. the 12. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. at this point, with the way how close this has been. I mean, the Blues have come back on strong, right? I mean, you don't want to let anything slip through their fingers. They're at 91, Colorado at 90, St. Louis at 89, and the Kings at 89. It's too dangerous to lose a game, yeah. um, but you got to throw them that they're going to lose one. I feel like they're going to lose one or two. Um, hopefully they don't. I mean, we always want them to win out, but I feel like they need to get. Uh, man, if I'm going to be nice, eight to ten points
1: yeah. to make and, a difference. And specifically, you need those wins against LA and Colorado. I, right. I mean, you could you could win three of those six, but if you pick up those wins against LA and Colorado, you probably still make it. Or you get yeah. it's close, but you probably still do because those are four point games. And especially the game against the Kings, which is the big one. So I, I feel like you're. Right. I think you got to win at least four of the six to to get in for sure. So that would put what the, that would put the Ducks at 99 points if they won those four games. Uh, just to make it a magic number, I would say. I guess the Ducks probably need 100 to just solidify themselves in. So that's like a four one and one record in their last six games, which would be great. And I think they'd get in. But it all it all comes down to that Kings game. Because if you lose the game against the Kings. You better hope that you win the other five.
0: Yeah, and uh, Chris Smith in our chat just said that Colorado still has games against L.A. and St. Louis. So yep. those are all big games coming down the stretch here.
1: Uh, continuing the trend on Twitter, uh, Kyle Pickering just kind of a comment. said, so too bad Gibson has this team playing in front of him. That was uh, at the end of the second period, so... Uh, he was feeling like everybody was feeling at the end of the second period, uh, down 3-1. to one. So I can't uh, I can't get too hard on him for that question. Uh, Sammy talking about what we've already said. He said he could see Troy Terry slotting in with Kasha and Henrique, maybe putting Richie on the fourth line. We've had a couple people talking about that. He asked our thoughts on that. Uh, we've given them already, but I uh, just wanted to get the question out there. I, I feel like that's probably his best fit right now. Absolutely,
0: man. I agree with you 100%.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm doing some real digging here on Twitter because we had like questions from like different tweets, and, and I, I gotta like dig through the uh, the mess here of all our notifications from. Uh, we need a producer to
0: go in and grab all of our stuff. Anyone want to volunteer to be our our content producer for questions? I just feel just like Jordan
1: Bombay is probably on that right now in the chat. <laughs> I'm not even he's looking at the chat, up. but <laughs> I feel like he's he's probably on that right off the bat. Uh, okay, so. Kyle, uh, back. This was two hours ago. So again, this was middle of the second period. Had a bunch of questions. Uh, he said, "Why are the Ducks choking?" So this again, if you if you this question was asked at the end of the second period, will they make the playoffs? Wasn't Randy Carlisle hired supposed to fix the defensive breakdowns and chokes? Uh, and he was saying, "But Bruce Berger wasn't good enough." Bunch of questions mixed in there. I, I guess they're not necessarily relevant anymore because the Ducks ended up coming back and winning the game. So, But I, I feel this pain. I think we all feel this pain. We were all pretty disappointed uh, at the, the way the game was going at the end of the second period.
0: No, nah, I'd agree, too. We were all upset about that. And it's so easy to point the finger here and there. The player's got to come through. Um, and wake up a bit and play hockey because they did it in the third period. Whatever they did in that, between the second and third intermission, yeah. it worked. Um, Eric Stevens, uh, the Ducks beat writer, said nobody would say what was said yeah. in between periods, but whatever it was, it worked out. And sorry, Gordon Bombay, um, it does not pay currently, <laughs> as uh, Eddie and I are unpaid as well. We'll pay you in Girl we Scout wish cookies. wish we could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, right, well, okay, hold on. So Eddie's going to pay you in Girl Scout cookies, um, <laughs> whatever the exchange rate is from Canadian to American. Uh, just let him know what that cost is, and he'll make sure they get shipped to you. Ready? Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it out. He, he'll work for cookies, so we're good. Um, uh, Ashley asking, uh, this was, I guess, right after the Ducks scored two goals. She said, "Did the Ducks get some of that Space damn juice from Michael Jordan during the intermission?" And uh, holy hell, no,
0: I would never would have even thought to say that. That's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, throughout <laughs> the the GIF of uh, Bugs Bunny holding Mike, Michael's secret stuff. <laughs> the defense so.
0: definitely did, man, because they carried the offense for the Ducks there and, and got the victory for us.
1: Uh yeah, Twitter Twitter's a mess. Yeah, definitely gotta get Gordon Bombay on this because I have to look like, school through everything. Okay. So Paula asking, said Gibby's been awesome for us, definitely player of the game for this season. Would you start Miller any of the remaining games? If so against who?
0: No, there's no back to oh, there's only one back to back. Um and yeah. this is all got playoff implications. You can't do it. Unless the Ducks are solidly in, maybe start in the last game of the year against Phoenix.
1: Yeah, that's that's it. That's I think that's the only thing. We mentioned this way back. I think this was probably episode 5 where he said... It was whatever point where the Ducks had no remaining back-to-backs other than that last game. We said we'd probably see Gibson all the way throughout. Why would you not? That's been the case. He's been great. The only time I see Miller... And, and again, only if the Ducks are in on that last game of the season. If they need Miller to go back to back to get in i sorry, if they need Gibson to go back to back to get into the playoffs, that last game against Arizona, he's playing. I don't think there's any way they start Miller if they need the, the two points in that game.
0: Alright, let's take one last question. You want to grab the last one from Spreaker chat? <laughs> uh
1: well, we we have the one on Twitter which is just quick. I feel like I gotta get to the ones on okay. Twitter because they uh they they stay there forever. So so Sammy asked you guys think Hampers will be considered one of the elite defensemen in the league, like top ten if not top five?
0: What was it? You cut off for a second. What did you say?
1: Sorry. Oh, uh, she said, uh, do you think Sammy – or sorry, not Sammy Vaughn. Hampus Lindholm will be ever considered a top ten, if not top five, defenseman in the national hockey league? Quietly,
0: um, around um, some media, he is a top ten guy. On the yeah. higher end of that top – the, sorry, the lower end, I guess you could say, the top ten, around 9-10.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, in my heart, he's top five. Uh, he's definitely not that across the league and probably deservedly so. I'm a bit of a homer when I talk about Hampus Lindholm and his game. Everybody knows that. Um, he's got to put up the points I mean the points yeah. don't mean everything I mean you got the other things, the nuances on the ice That he does well, It's a strong two way game But I mean you got to be able to produce If you're going to get chances and On the power play like he's gotten You got to put up the points there And he just hasn't done it yet So if he gets in that 40, 45 pointish range Which he could still develop into But I don't know He's
1: got to do that first All right. And you want to take that last question in the chat from Dean Before we close up here
0: Sure, let's do this last one. We'll wrap after this. He says, "I got a bit of a long statement. I'm curious about uh, what do you think about the possibility of BXA just simply being scratched for bad play." I asked that because during the Ducks and Tuck show, uh, Ducks and Tuck show, he was having a conversation with a reporter who asked him about his hand because it's wrapped. Her question asked, "So I see your hand is wrapped. You had hand surgery to remove scar tissue or something like that." His response was just something like that with a wire, with a wry smile, just something like that. Yeah. So I guess he's saying, like, is he just – they're just saying he has an injury and he's not playing? There was speculation.
1: I, I mean, people believe that uh, it's kind of convenient where he was kind of coming in and out of the lineup that all, all of a sudden he's decided to get hand surgery with uh, two to five weeks left at the end of the season. I, 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 it's a stretch, but some teams have done that in the past where they've said guys are hurt just to rest them or to get them out of the lineup, but I, I feel like it's a bit of a stretch.
0: Let me throw a rumor out there real quick about Kevin BX that I heard. And this is all telephone hearsay. Um, <laughs> my kid plays on uh, on, on, a, on the Lady Ducks uh, team, so that's connected to the Ducks. And then yeah. I, she has friends on that team that have, have brothers that play for the Junior Ducks. And the parents talk. And, of course, you know, Getzloff and Kessler's kids play on those teams. So does BX's kid. The rumor is amongst the people that talk to these people and, and the other players is that Kevin BX is not liked in what are, in the Ducks organization. This is all speculation. So maybe it is. Maybe yeah. it is.
1: It could be. Maybe I mean, and Dean Dean adding to the speculation, saying it wasn't his Superman hand either that was wrapped. It was the other hand. And I uh, thought the, that he had, had to get surgery on his Superman hand, I believe, was what they said, because he had scar tissue in that hand. Because of the punch, I'd have to look back on that, but I believe that's what the reasoning was for him getting surgery. But it's interesting. That's
0: bad continuity then. That's terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, (laughs) I'd have to double check. I'd have to double check into that because I'm not 100% sure which hand that they had said he had hurt. But it it is kind of interesting timing to decide to get surgery because he had been playing through it for a while. His play really hadn't gotten better or gotten worse. It's just always been kind of poor all the entire season. And they just say, hey, we're going to decide to get surgery now. And there's a chance it just could have gotten so bad that he just couldn't handle it anymore. But it is interesting timing, and it creates a lot of uh, speculation and conspiracy theories.
0: Yeah, and players and, and coaching staff and management alike don't like talking about anything in a serious note about injury. They just say it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. It's happened. No, no detail. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what goes on there. If be behind the scenes, we'll never truly know. Just all the rumors. Um, but that'll put a cap on the show for us, Eddie. Unless you got anything else to go.
1: No, nope. uh, Matt. Just saying, if he wasn't like, they would have traded him over Stoner. And him and Kessler are like best friends. So again, adding to the other side of the argument. So
0: maybe, yeah, you never know what's going on there, right? I mean, he's got that no move clause, right?
1: Yeah. All right. So, well, let's uh, let's wrap this up because we're we're getting we're getting really long. Hour and a half an just about. Half.
0: Let's go ahead and cap this and kill it. We appreciate everybody who's tuned in. Everybody who's left us a kind message. All the reviews on iTunes have been great. If you haven't already left an iTunes review for us, if you guys would. Do us a huge favor; it helps get our name out there. Go and leave us a five star rating, subscribe, and go ahead and leave a quick review about our show. We love you guys forever for that. Um, always, we appreciate you know everyone participating into the uh, Forever Mighty Three Star leaderboard, which Eddie so graciously graciously keeps track of. We have a prize coming for that, and we kind of found out what it's gonna be, which we'll reveal soon as yeah, we're nearing the end of stay the month. Tuned, so that's for exciting
1: because that, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's pretty exciting if uh, if. If we can do it for this month, it's pretty exciting. If not, it will be down the road. But it's uh, either way, it's going to be pretty exciting. And I have to get this out there as well before we close this off. Uh, for the last two episodes, you might have heard a little bit of an echo in Patrick's voice. I apologize for that. That was my old headset was causing an echo. We will not have that anymore. So I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to throw that out there before we got there. So that's not something that's going to continue in other shows.
0: Let's hope not, right? Unless it's on somehow on my end. Hopefully, it was your headset. But uh, yeah, Matt, Matt chimes in on the chat saying, "Are we going to be giving out cookies at the end of the month?" <laughs> uh, How do <laughs> you know? Be Ducks related. <laughs> It'll be Ducks related. Um, so yeah, if you guys, you know, would would go and leave us a message on iTunes, that'd be great. But like I just said, thanks for chiming in. You know, every single game on Twitter and participating in the Forever Mighty Three Star leaderboard. Um, and as Eddie alluded to, we have some exciting show uh, news coming up. So stay tuned for that. I uh, appreciate you guys jumping in on the chat. Now I got to wrap. I'm talking too long. I'm rambling. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you guys after the Vancouver game. Have a good week.